Hello and welcome to a special edition of the In The Money Players Podcast. This is our Royal Ascot Show for Wednesday. Peter Thomas Fornital back with you. Uh, we're going to have a really fun show today. We've got two guests. We're going to start off with a little bit we're recording on Tuesday morning. Then we're going to cut back to a fun recording from the pub on uh, Monday night with Barry Faulkner. He'll be here in a minute, but we are going to kick things off with a woman you know from many different places, including work she's done on uh, on network television, on the Santa Anita simulcast feed, and of course, on her fantastic Owner's Box podcast with Billy Koch. She is Michelle Yu. Michelle, how are things? I'm good, Pete. How are you? I'm very happy. Always love this week. It's so great to be back after a couple of years away. And it's great to have you here as well. What brings you over? Oh, well, I came obviously for Royal Ascot. That's the the whole um, cup and caboodle of why so many of us are making the journey across the pond this week. So really happy to be coming over here and doing some uh racing shows and my my main focus of this particular visit is actually thursday for the gold cup okay great we'll we'll uh we'll definitely look for you over there and you know hopefully you're not working too hard hopefully you can once again as you told us on a previous show get a bag full of champagne oh my that is like a must right i mean for sure at some point tomorrow because i'm not working on on wednesday tomorrow we're just doing like rehearsals and stuff uh, there is a bag of champagne in my future. One hundred percent. Excellent, excellent. We'll we'll see if we can we can break out the seldom used in the money media credit card and buy you a bag of champagne. Oh, good. Then it's a today. definite. I was trying to scrape together my pennies. <laughs> well, you are here. We're going to look at the. We're going to look at the, the what I would call the featured race, the Breeders' Cup win and your in-race on this Wednesday card. Then we're going to loop back with Barry and start from the beginning and go right to the end. But this is a really interesting contest, not the, not the biggest in terms of field size, but certainly an awful lot of talent going postward in this one. What are your thoughts on this contest? I mean, I think that's what you're looking for, really, is how competitive is the race, right? And this race exactly embodies that you know you don't need 20 horses if you can chuck out 19 of them so when you have a race like this and it has you know a compact field but literally every one of these horses because could win that's what makes it exciting like what is going to be the the kicker for this particular race and I, I I spent an abnormal amount of time trying to look at this race trying to see like how smart can I really be I don't, Pete, I'm, I'm like right back to the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard. The pace is hard to see exactly how it's going to unfold here. And that's the thing that I'm struggling with. And I keep coming back to again and again. Well, where, when you spun your top and, and, and looked at this race and went round and round, where did it? Look? Okay. So the first thing I did was I looked at, it, I'm like state of rest, hundred percent. This horse could win. Why is he six to one on the morning line? Um, and then I like clicked over to the next horse. I'm like, Oh, that's why every, every time you go, I actually wound up on the Japanese horse. I thought he was really interesting here. A little bit younger, um, four-year-old than, you know, some of the older dudes like grand glory and Lord North. But I feel like this is the story we've seen throughout the last six, seven months is that the Japanese go somewhere and they dominate. Um, Looking at his form, I feel like he started off his career really well. Honestly, his two quote unquote Mars, right. Were 
the race that was on soft going where he ended up fourth, but I'll draw a line through that. He, not everybody likes soft ground. And then the Japan cup and he finished behind Contrail and authority there. He backed up the fact that he is a legitimate contender with his run in the Shima classic. And I feel like when we're talking about this lack of pace, this horse has the advantage. He's not one of those. I need to come from the cloud closing types. Yeah. It's a good point. You make great points about the Japanese domination and certainly connections of Shariar will be very, very pleased to see the forecast here because when we talked about this race a couple of weeks You're ago. You're worried about uh, the rain, or, right? Exactly. And, and you know, for once, knock, knock, uh, it looks like uh, we, we may have, I should I say for once, there have been plenty of askets where you get the warm early week and then the rains come late in the week. Maybe that's going to be the way again. But at least as far as Shariar goes, conditions definitely suit and uh, we'll talk about this race a bunch more later i will get you to give me a quick comment on bay bridge who is going to go as a heavy favorite always a little bit tricky to want the heavy favorite in a race where there's uh, five contenders essentially and then of course the, the pace scenario is the is the other thing but on form i mean the horse looks fantastic yeah you certainly have to like him here he's bringing in five consecutive victories and his last one in the prep race the coral brigadier brigadier was a five length demolishing now that being said a lot of times when i look at these past performances I'm, as an American, looking for notable, notable names, horses that I know. I want to see what kind of form they've been holding, right? So when I look at Bay Bridge, I don't see that star power that he is beating out. Um, so for me, it makes me naturally just want to beat him because of that. So if I was looking for a, an alternative horse, I would end up on either State of Rest or Lord North. I mean, Lord North is... Such a cool dude. He was fourth in the Breeders' Cup last year. He won the Dubai Turf uh, last year. And then this year he won the Dubai Turf again in a nose decision or a dead heat. And I, I thought he ran excellently there. Um, you know, he prepped in the Tats Gold Cup. I still thought he ran okay in that particular spot. So he's a horse that just from longevity and constant bettability, I always like to play. Um, and then State of Rest is really intriguing for me. He finished just in front of Lord North in the Tattersall's Gold Cup. He won the Cox Plate. He won the Prix de Gagne. He won the Saratoga Derby. So you're looking again for horses that you might know from a U.S. basis. And State of Rest is certainly the dude when you're looking at that. He loves this distance, although he has never run at Royal Ascot before. It's going to be very interesting to see how it all plays out. Look forward to seeing you over there. Bag of champagne in hand. Michelle, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, Pete. All right. I'm going to do that funny thing where I send it to myself back from yesterday in the pub. Okay. We'll get Let to that. Let me do that for you, Pete. Right Let now. me do that for you. Oh, you have to do that. Will you introduce me, please? Yes, I certainly right. will. Uh, thanks for joining myself and Pete. Pete, yesterday in the pub, caught up with someone even more special. Our day two coverage of Royal Ascot, we bring it to you from the Boatman. Lovely pub, Riverside Pub, right here in Windsor. Uh, and folks don't believe me when I tell them this, but one of my favorite things about Ask It Week is going to Windsor on the Monday night. Lovely, lovely race course, and Windsor's just an amazing place. And it's a little bit of a tradition. Only a couple of years we've done this. But uh, to meet up the Monday before, talk a little bit about the week with my uh, great friend I'm about to bring on, who you have uh, probably read on attheraces.com covering American racing, and you've heard him on these airwaves before in various uh, formats as well. He's Barry Faulkner. Barry, how are things? Uh, 
fine. How can they not be fine, Pete? <laughs> day before Royal Ascot, here we are, Riverside pub, about a mile, the Queen's in the uh, castle, just a mile up the road, they're ready to go to Ascot, and so, so are you. <laughs> <laughs> it's about the size of it. Let's dive in on this card. You've been very successful on these shows in the past. We're going to get things going with our, with our very first race on Wednesday, which I, I believe is the, the Queen Mary, if I'm remembering the race card correctly. The Queen Mary stakes for two-year-old fillers going five furlongs. And uh, oddly enough, one of the first places we look over here in a, one of our races is to one of your trainers. Right. And, of course, that is uh, Wesley Ward. He's won this race three times in the last seven years. Uh, interestingly, two of those were ridden by Frankie Dettori and one by Ryan Moore. But, of course, this year, for Love Reigns, number 10 in this race, he's brought across Erad Ortiz Jr. to take them out. Um, although Love Reigns does have a connection on this side of the pond because he was Irish bred, so, or she was Irish bred rather. Um, one impressively on debut, as you all know from the, the US side of things, um, but all I liked about that race particularly was the slow early and then romped, and the race is over five and a half furlongs. This is a tough five furlongs to ask it, and you'll need horses to get home, and some of the ones from Wesley Wood have not done that in the past, but I think this last has got a great chance of doing it, and she's my bet of the week. All right, that's strong words. Do you, does, the, does the fact that Errat Ortiz is on these Wesley Ward runners. So you see it as a positive, a negative, or a neutral? Uh, I think it's, it's neutral. I mean, we know how good Errat Ortiz is, but um, Dottori and Moore aren't too bad. <laughs> they're, they're not shabby. And they know guys. their way around here a little more. Well, it's, you know, it's a, talk about point and shoot. They don't have to go around and turn to go five furlongs here. You open the gate and off you go. Um, <laughs> and, any others to come with her here? Well, again, if, if he wins, there'll be four from eight for Wesley Ward. But uh, there are a couple of others uh, of... Thrill, thrillers, uh, Dramatise and Yasat, both trained by Carl uh, Burke, number three. I didn't get Yasat's number is uh, 21. Um, both have got good form, good speed numbers. The former does look the first string on the back of a strong run at Newmarket, that's Dramatise. And, uh, but Yasat um, has improved in each of her runs. She's only won once of the three, but uh, she's a sort just keeps incrementally getting better, and an improvement like that would put her in the mix. And the other one to mention is Katie Content, number six, uh, trained by uh, Clive Cox, written by Adam Kirby. They combined to win this in 2017, and the trainer is particularly adept with speedy tights, but I think this one's going back onto your side of the pond, Pete. I'm a fan of Love Reigns as well. Tough, tough day to make a speed yeah. figure for, but... All the figure makers have her number in a range, not necessarily like the freaks that have had the crazy numbers that Wesley sent over here, like Kamari and Lady Aurelia, but he's won this race you know, with horses that have similar numbers to this, and Love Reigns is visually impressive as any of them. Let's pivot to our second race of the day. This is the Group 3 Queen's Vase for three-year-olds. What's your thought on this one, Barry? Well, the first thing to say is this race was won by Kamari last year, but not the Kimari you're talking about. Yes. Kemari. Right. Uh, trained by Charlie Apple, ridden, ridden by uh, uh, Buick. Uh, three favourites the last ten years have won it, none in the last six. Uh, but Aidan O'Brien has trained five of the last nine, and this year he's represented by Anchorage. Now, it's an interesting one, this, because he's only won one of his seven races, and he's... One run this year wasn't obviously encouraging, but uh, the price to me looked a bit of a connections assessment. However, 
O'Brien's only running this one, and he had four in the race. And often when he does that, it means that that's one to pay attention to. So it's sort of mixed messages for me. Nahani, number seven from Appleby Buick again this year, was staying on seventh in the Derby. That's only 11 days ago. He started slowly there. So Adam Kirby, jockey, reported that the Colt was bothered by that crazy fireworks display they put on just before the start in the Derby. Um, he's he's stoutly bred this lad. He's by Frank Lighter of Street Car. Street cry mare and his Buick's pick, so that's a, a, a good nod in his favour. And uh, Appleby's also got Half It, uh, ridden by James Doyle here. He's another one with stout breeding. You have to, this is a mile and six. He's by Dubarwi out of a Galeo mare. His form is not so strong as some in the lineup, but he will benefit from the stretch out. But I'm going for a bit of a, a wild card here. Eldar Elderov, number four, uh, trained by Roger Varian, ridden by David Egan. He's only run twice. He, won a mile maiden as a juvenile and then uh, a, a modest 10 furlong race on his return this year but he looks sure to improve he does need to but stretching out he's by Debarbi as well but out of see the stars this is a stronger breeding you're going to get for this and he's been quite well backed despite his thin resume and that is usually worth noting from this trainer so Eldar Elderov number four is the one for me in the Queen's Vase number four with the 276 in the vase as we move on to our third betting contest on this Royal Ascot Wednesday. And this is Breeders' Cup win and you're in action in the Prince of Wales' stakes. This, of course, is a group one. We're going the 10 furlongs. It's one of the, the, sort of the classic case of short field but long on talent, I think it's safe to say. One I'm really interested in here that we talked about on these airwaves before is Shariar, the number three. When we spoke to our Japanese expert, Klaus Ebner, about Shariar, he was concerned about too much cut in the ground for this one, but I think at 10 furlongs, with the warm, dry weather we're having, even if they choose to water a little bit. I think is going to look awful tough, but I see you've gone in a different direction with your top pick. Um, Who do you like in well, here? I like Baybridge, but get, before getting on to him, indication of how strong this race is, the 2020 winner, Lord North, is the contender for the outsider in this five field. <laughs> so it shot on shows the board. you how strong this is. Um, but Baybridge I've gone with is uh, Sir Michael Stout, train, uh, written by Ryan Moore. A very, very impressive at Sandown 20 days ago in a Group 3. Um, he looks like a typical stout late improver. He's a really exciting project for this year. He'll get a test today, there's no doubt. But Sir Michael is, I guess, Bishop McGay is one of the nearest in US terms. Very patient, right, a hand that doesn't force his horses. Uh, Charlie Whittingham was the same. The horses tell him when they're ready. Yes. And this guy's been brought along so steadily and really did look the business at Sandown. He's got to improve, and he's taken a couple of real crackers here. Shariar, you've already mentioned, uh, he won the Dubai Shima Classic in March. He's one of Japan's best. He was third to Contrail in the Japan Cup uh, last year. Grand Glory also in here was a length and a half behind him, fifth there, and he clearly takes his travelling well, and he's going to set a stiff test, but so is State of Play. What a horse this fellow is. Won the Saratoga Derby in August last year, went to Australia to win the uh, Cox Plate at Mooney Valley in October, came back and won the pre Ghana at Longchamp earlier in the year. Three Group 1 races in three different continents. I mean, that is some going. He was beaten at only two necks in a Group 1 last time, and disregard this lad at your peril. This is a cracker. Yeah, it's a very good race, and your approach to play the one Bay Bridge with the three Shariar and the four State of Rest, who folks will surely remember from that big Saratoga Derby run. And that brings us to our fourth race on the day, the Duke of Cambridge Stakes Group 2 action 
for Phillies and Mares, and uh, one where we had a nice shout and the Tuesday show from Nick Luck looking ahead to this one was very curious about Sevilla, Spain in this spot. What do you like in here? He's been reading my notes. <laughs> so you worked in stateside with Nick back in the day, so it makes sense you, you'd have some, uh, some affinity, some common form lines. It's, it's interesting. Again, this is another race where it's a, a group two, but it's a very strong group for the grade. I'm going to start with Mother Earth, um, Aidan O'Brien, Ryan Moore. She's entered here rather than taking on Baid and the Queen Anne on Tuesday. She got walloped by him in a top grade, um, grade group one last month but previously won a group three against other disc staffers at the Curra. Um, Saffron Beach is interesting. She actually beat Mother Earth last year in a group one for Phillies and Mares in October. Um, then she was a solid fourth behind Lord North, who runs in the earlier race at Maydan at the end of March. She's the best on the official handicap ratings over here, but she's got to give weight around because of her grade one win last round. But I'm with Nick here. Sibylla Spain, I just love the way she's been brought on. I think she's a bit of a hidden gem, or I hope she is at least. Uh, she finished fourth to a very good horse, the Revenant, who's a grade one winner, or group one winner rather, in a group three at uh, Santa in April. And at the same track, the following month, she finished uh, second, um, sorry, she won a grade two last time, group two last time, and that was against the boys also. I'm a real believer in this when they go back against their own sex, that you've got to upgrade the previous performance. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a class drop. At the risk of going down a rabbit hole, let's talk briefly about official handicap ratings and what they mean. You're somebody who understand, you know, worked at, uh, worked at, I was going to say parks, but I suppose it was Philly Park back at the time. Worked <coughs> in American racing for a long time. You understand the differences in the way we look at form as opposed to, you know, the typical way that folks look at form over here. Give me just a quick description of what those official handicap ratings are and how important they are to you. Well, the, the, the handicap rating is a rating given by the racing authority in uh, Great Britain and in Ireland. Um, they sort of look at every race and say, okay, this horse is worth this level of rate. It's meant to be in terms of uh, pounds the horse can carry and give to another horse in a handicap. And <clears throat> every horse in, in Britain that runs gets a, a, a rating. When they've run three times, they can get an official handicap rating. Um, and so the, the, the race that Saffron Beach ran last year against um, Mother Earth, they put... The official handicapper believes that's the best single performance of these horses in this race. It's a point-in-time reference, but if, if that's replicated, then she wins this race. So really a way of, of evaluating form. And we see it sometimes with our official figures, even though they're, you know, in theory, speed figures. The buyer figures at this point, they hold such weight in the industry. I think you will see them sometimes, especially on turf, treating them almost like a form rating and making sure that the, the best bits of form have higher numbers. The clock is obviously always a part of the buyer figure, but they can get a little creative. It makes me think of the way that you're describing the official handicapping ratings over here. Absolutely. And, and, and the way it works for a lot of these races, this race will ha have established itself as a certain level of race. So the winner of this race, say, okay, this year average runner, we'll give her that rating. She's a little bit above average, we'll, we'll put it up a bit below, below. But that's related to how the other horses around her run. The ideal for a, a handicapper is if it works exactly the way you think. So then he thinks, okay, I've probably got that race right. Yes. A lot of horses on the line in a handicap. The handicapper feels like uh, he or she did a good job. Absolutely. Let's talk about the fifth wagering event on this Wednesday card. Barry, we've got the Royal Hunt Cup. Now, this is one that's going to be a pretty unfamiliar to USA viewers, but that doesn't mean 
you can't uh, have some fun and try to have, have a bit of a bet on it. Tell us what we're dealing with here. Well, I think there are 33 entries for this race, 30-odd <laughs> to run. Um, they're going to be spread all over the track. So the, the, the post position, believe it or not, even though it's a dead straight line, uh, is actually quite crucial depending on which side of the track uh, is or perceived to be running the quicker or which side of the track the pace horses are. So I've got a, sort of a bit of a spread across the gate and uh, I've come up with four here. Give you an example of why this race is a tricky race. The one pound trifecta last year for this race paid £5,002.82. So it's, you know, it's not an easy race to, to get the winner of. Um, often in a race like this, you're looking for good, hard-knocking types who run, run well in big field competitive handicaps of the, the past or horses that look like they're group horses in a handicap. The horses that are still progressive and likely to improve and the, the official rating they've been given underestimates their, their, their talent and their, um, their ability. Uh, so the, 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 my main pick in the race is uh, number 24, Legend of Dubai. He's a uh, lighter race, progressive, typical of his trainer, Roger Varian, ridden by Andra Saini here. Um, he's a comfortable winner last time. The handicap has raised him £11 for, the, for that win, but it might not be enough. He really does look a, a, a horse that's definitely on the up, and I expect to see him at the business end. Um, if we look then at the seven, Pedro, I'm doing about the order on my list here, uh, Jesse Harrington and Shane Foley, he won a big field handicap at Leopardstown in August, 27 runners in that race. And he wasn't beaten far in a similar race uh, next time out. He was always to the rear last month at the Curra, but he's a, per, a player on last year's form. These are the sort that time and time again come out in this type of race and run well. And he's a decent price as well. Um, Dark Shift is interesting. Uh, Charlie Hills, number 27. Uh, he's booked the Australian champion uh, James McDonald for this, uh, this ride. Um, he's another one who won last time and got a weight rise and again he could be capable of shrugging, shrugging it off and this, this jockey is one of the best in the world trust yeah, me. Yeah I was going to ask you to tell people a little bit about McDonald I know according to sort of the official uh, ratings on riders you were mentioning to me off air uh, considered by some to be the best. Yeah the, 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 the thoroughbred uh, ratings uh, rate horses trainers, uh, jockeys etc and James McDonald is always in on or close to the top of that table and he's, he's the top man um, down under, and he's over here to obviously to ride the Aussies uh, later on uh, in the week, earlier in the week. Um, and the booking here looks a, a significant booking to me. And uh, again, top jockey is. And the last one I want to mention is another quite a big long shot. He's called Bless Him, number 12, trained by David Simcock, ridden by Jamie Spencer. Now, he was steadied early at York last month, going a mile. Now, the mile at York, they go around a turn. He never really got into that race. And this straight track should really suit him better at a big price. And he's got the ideal rider. There's no one better than Jamie Spencer for getting a horse smuggled late into the race. And he's certainly been the fray at the business centre, I should think. He gets a lot of critics, Jamie, because for the way he rides. But he always says, don't like the way I ride, don't back my horses. You've got to know the way this guy rides. There's no better come-from-behind rider than Jamie He's Spencer. amazing. Think of the great... It's not the only club Rosario has in his bag, but the way that Rosario sometimes on a closer will pull a little bit extra out at the finish, I mean, that's Spencer in a nutshell, right? It was. Years ago, there was a, a, a jockey called Harry Rag, and he was known as the head waiter because he waited longer than anybody else. And if anybody's taken on his mantle, it's Jamie Spencer. Great stuff. Let's talk about the sixth race on the day. How appropriate. We're in the shadow of Windsor Castle. So let's talk about the Windsor Castle Stakes. Yeah, the Windsor Castle Stakes, unfortunately, is probably the, the, the least, um, least good of the uh, two-year-old races. It's a listed contest over five furlongs. Um, only two favourites won in the last ten. They were both seven to two. It's usually a very open race. Last year's winner was 22 to one. 
Uh, the favourite this year is number 12, Little Big Bear, trained by Aidan O'Brien, ridden by Ryan Moore. He was a shorthead second on debut, but one second time up. He's got the best form on offer here, here, but don't forget, we're in a situation where we're expecting some of these horses to move on. Now, going up for the one from your side of the pond, um, I was very early on getting on the Wesley Ward bandwagon when he first came over in the late 2000, 2000 2009, was, I think, yeah, was Strike the Tiger, right? Exactly. Wasn't that the first one? And I, I had a really good year that year, and I've swallowed it obviously avidly ever since. Now, this uh, one was only beaten ahead on debut behind an experience when it was an even money shot that day. Um, this is not the strongest two-year-old race at Royal Ascot, so I'm obviously going to have a few of my uh, English pounds on this one. Um, Star of Lady M is interesting. She's trained by, a, 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 in Yorkshire, an Irishman called David O'Mara, and he's booked the Irish champion jockey Colin Keane for the mount. He's only been, she's only been beaten once uh, in four starts when she didn't handle the track at Chester, which is not to everyone's uh, uh, liking, very tight to... Always Chester. turning at Chester. <laughs> Just like, like an American turf track, except yeah. in, even more turning. Yeah. Um, interesting, a big price for the jockey book. Two others, Chateau, um, Andrew Balding, William Burek riding, and Bolt Action, Roger Varian again, with David Egan, and a couple of others to consider. Quite an open race, and I'm, I'm happy to let uh, Seismic Spirit carry my... All right, we'll make that the top pick. Do me a favor and look up the number on Bolt Action. I'll remind USA uh, fans that O'Mara, very much of a, of a familiar name from success he's had in our part of the world with the Mondialiste. Correct. Who won the, uh, the Woodbine Mile and, and ran well um, ran well in uh, the Breeders' Cup. I, was that her second in the Breeders' Cup Mile, maybe? Something um, like that. Yeah. Well, I mean... Uh, David O'Mara is a, a very, very good trainer. Say, so he trains in Yorkshire. And I've just lost my Wi-Fi connection. So. <laughs> oh, I think it's back. It popped back on. <laughs> oh, because you looked at it, Pete. That's what you, you, you skirt it into action. Um, right, so Wonderful pub, for, not the best Wi-Fi. Bolt action. Excellent lunch. Great fish and chips. Number one bolt action. Okay, number one. So, yeah, we'll, but we're looking for the... You make a good point. I was a bit dismissive of the ward runner in there, but you, you make a good point about the, the established level of form that's needed to win this, you know, maybe, maybe not uh, so high as in uh, a race like the Queen Mary that we started the show with. We will finish the show with uh, a look at the seventh wagering contest on the day, the seventh and final, and it is the Kensington Palace handicap for these four-year-old fillies and mares. On the old mile, tell us about the old mile. Well, the the, uh, the, the, the mile trip that we see earlier on in the Royal Hunt Cup is a straight mile. Boom, off you go, up to the Golden Gate, straight down the course. The old mile is a round mile, uh, with one turn in it, which comes about uh, five furlongs after the start, and it makes it uh, you know quite a uh, quite a charge to get there. And we've got um, nine to 20 runners in this maximum field, so if you're drawn on the wings, it could be a bit of a tricky one. Um, the Shortest price one here, I think, was I, I saw earlier on Isaiah, Hazia, uh, Joseph O'Brien. Um, he's ent- she's entered in a group three in 10 days' time and a group two at the Curra next month. Clearly held in high regard, maybe a handicapper, uh, sorry, a, a group horse and a handicap. Um, currently a favourite on the list, just come up on my, my screen here. Um, wouldn't put anybody off um, having a better match. She looks, looks the, the type. Uh, White Moonlight, um, trained by Saeed Brinstraw, ridden by Danny Tudhoe. Now, he's a very useful jockey who was originally booked up on Soft Whisper, but Soft Whisper didn't get into this race. Um, it was tw- number 23 on the list as a, as a reserve in case others come out. Uh, when I first saw that he was on this horse, oh, 
they actually switched thinking this is the best one. So it's not quite as much of a plot as I thought it was. Right. I quite fancied Soft Whisper as well. She's only run five times. She's got bare minimum races to get a handicap mark. But Tudok's a very good jockey. He's, he's based in the north of England. Um, but he, he really is worth keeping an eye on. If he's, he's on one of yours, don't worry. So I've made him, uh, made her rather than my pick in this race. The other one to mention is Improvised. Again, David O'Mara, uh, David Egan, was second in the listed contest 10 days ago, going seven furlongs. Never gone this far, but on breeding, she should get it. And I wouldn't be surprised to find her getting involved as well. 17, 6, 23, and 19. Do I have that about right? That's about right. Excellent. All right, while I have you, and, and maybe you haven't looked too far ahead yet, but is there anything happening later in the week that you feel like you just must get on record as a horse that you're interested in betting here at Royal Ascot, or are you really more focused on day at a time? We only just got the final declarations for Wednesday, so feel free to punt that question down the road. But curious if there's anything in particular you're fancying would as the I, Would week I be on. so rude? <laughs> To, to, to a good mate of mine. I'm, I'm trying to find the horse now. The, the uh, Australian horse in the, um, what is this year, the Platinum Jubilee. Of course, it started out as the Golden Jubilee. And then it yes. the so the Golden Diamond Platinum Jubilee, Platinum Jubilee this year. And that's on Saturday. And um, I'm going uh, with the Aussie horse um, from Chris Waller, um, Home Affairs. Yes. Uh, just love, love his form. Um, interesting, the racing post show her show him rather as a three-year-old because in the southern hemisphere he still is a three-year-old because of the different breeding season and of course if he was a three-year-old um, he's not in our, in our terms the northern hemisphere is a four-year-old he wouldn't be eligible for this race because it's open to four-year-olds and upwards but uh, he gets in he does have a slight weight disadvantage um, because of his um, um, the fact that he's um, you know, born later in the year than other four-year-olds that are in this race but I just think um, his form is, is, is red hot and the Aussies um, have got a really really good sprinter we've seen it year on year as they come to this meeting and the two um, in the last sort of 20 years the, the, the two key features of Ascot for me the Australians coming over and winning races and the Americans coming over and winning races as well and it's been another cracking race between um, Wesley Ward with Campanelle there and Chris Waller with Home Affairs in this race. But I think Home Affairs, I've already backed Home Affairs anyway. Um, I'm super interested to see how Campanelle gets on, bidding to make history as the first American to win at three different Ascots and then to go for style points to do it in three different races. How cool of a story would that be? That would be a fantastic cool story. Not for the first one for Wesley Ward, of course. Right. It's going to be fun to, uh, to, to watch this week. Really appreciate your time today. And uh, I think we got to go catch this boat and get down to the race course. What do you think? And find a few winners, Pete. <laughs> That's the plan. That's the plan. So we'll say thank you one more time to our friends at The Boatman. Come check it out here in Windsor. Do not overlook Windsor on the Monday when you book your Royal Ascot trip next year. So uh, thanks to the aforementioned folks, and thanks to everybody out there for checking out this show. May you win all your Royal Ascot photos. <laughs>